Bettina from Bettina's Kitchen. I'm a plant-based chef and cookbook author. And I'm Nikki from Rebel Recipes, a plant-based food blogger and cookbook author. And this is our brand new podcast, What the Focaccia, kindly brought to you by the organic retailer Abel & Cole, who are all about being sustainably minded. And you can find out lots more on their website, abelandcole.co.uk, and they have kindly offered you, our podcast listeners, a brilliant offer which is £10 of your first three shops over £30. All the T's and C's are on their website as well, abelandcole.co.uk. And we're sat here with the lovely Amelia Freer, and I'm about to offer you a nice organic drink selection. What would you like to have, Amelia? Oh, I'll have a gin and tonic, please. Oh, it's gin and tonic. In the morning. <laughs> we should right. join you then. Let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Amelia, I know that you're a very busy lady. So not only are you an author, you're a mum, you're a working national therapist, um, and you've worked with some really interesting clients. I know that there's, you know, been lots of stuff about the, your amazing clients in the press, like Sam Smith and Boy George. I'm sure they're very interesting to work with. But today, we're really interested just to learn a little bit more about your ethos and about your food philosophy, um, how that, um, I know, I feel like you've got a very holistic approach to, to health and well-being which I, it personally resonates with me. So, so we'll, um, we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Wonderful. Our feeling is that health and eating habits and food are connected to emotions. Mm. How do you feel about that? I absolutely agree. I think, um, I think probably where um, healthy eating might have gone a bit wrong and we've all been a bit led astray is that, um, and certainly in my studies, I focus just on the nutritional science. Mm. And so for a long time, healthy eating has just been talking about the micronutrients, the macronutrients, the importance. I mean, and of course, it is important. But I think what's got lost along the way is the importance of food, the social, gastronomic, emotional importance, uh, cultural importance of food. And I think... My ethos now is really to make sure that we're always striking that balance between the two. The two should coexist. They need to. We need to place equal importance on caring for our nutrition as well as caring for, uh, you know, the, the, the simple pleasures that we can get from food. And I think maybe it's that latter section that's been forgotten about. Absolutely. And building a community around food. Mm, well, yes. I mean, I, I'm sure you've looked into the uh, Blue Zones, mm. which look at the, the people that have lived the longest. And it's all of them have in common is that they have this wonderful community. They share meals together. Um, something that I think Maybe we've lost. I mean, certainly when I used to work in offices, I would just sort of shove a sandwich down yeah. my throat Absolutely. while multitasking. I never gave it any importance or relevance. And I'm really, I mean, especially now since I've become a mum, trying to give that, you know, focus on that and make sure that I take the time to have proper meal times and teach that to my daughter. Mm. I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because everyone's so busy. Um, and I think sort of, especially in this country, culturally, it's just it's a little bit frowned upon sometimes, actually taking the time to sit down and enjoy your food. Yeah. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's such a shame. We've kind of lost lost touch with it, really, lost touch with the importance. But it doesn't happen in the Mediterranean. I mean, no. people are really do take proper time and then have a siesta. It just yeah. seems like they just don't have the same fast-paced, stressful way of life. And I think that, going back to your original point, Bettina, that yes, there's a lot of um, emotions behind mm. uh, the food choices that we make and, and the complications and all the struggles that I think so many of us face. But and I, So that's definitely an area that I am focusing on more and more and more because I almost think that's more important when trying to help people than just telling them what they need to eat and how they need to eat because I think that information is out there. But I think that stress 
management also plays a huge, huge part in in that because I think if we're leading such busy, stressful lives, we're not going to be able to give food the same focus and attention that we need to. I think the connection to food and where it comes from, we've completely lost Mm. the connection of Mm. how food is grown, Mm. um, the connection to small businesses and farmers, and it's almost like that isn't really it's that complete connection of sourcing our food the way that we used to do um has been lost along the way as well as well as the food culture in the community i quite um, i quite agree i mean um, i do workshops um a couple of times a year and um i do a little module based on this actually encouraging people to sort of think of the different people or how many different people have been involved in the process to get the food in front of them onto the table because actually I mean, I, I put my hands up. since I, I grow my own vegetables, mm. as you know. So that's really helped me to become much more in tune with seasonal food and, and, and how food's grown. But in the past, it certainly wasn't something that I thought about. And I would say that probably oh, like a vast majority of my clients are not even ready to, to start that discussion uh, about, about where the food's coming from. It's just how can they get access to food mm. and how quickly can they make it? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a it's an important discussion, but it's, it's a big one. I don't know it's how I don't one. know it's how that one, one how that how we get change. Mm. My role as a nutritional therapist is is obviously to never place any judgment. I have to meet clients with what, exactly where mm. they're at. So it's not a case of me telling everyone, oh, you must be sustainable and you must be this. I mean, I know that I'm in the privileged position of being able to make my own choices uh, and, and you know, choose where my food is, is comes from and how it's sourced and, and growing my own food. But obviously, if, if I work with a client who is only eating convenience food, then it's my job to just help them find a slightly better convenience food rather than say that, you know, they need to do every everything another way. So it's always important to make sure that there's no judgment with any of that kind of, of uh, advice. But you're right, for us for us foodies who are passionate about mm. it, we, we get to make those choices. We do. And so um, leading on then, can you just tell us about your sort of work on a, on a day-to-day basis? Well, my career's changed a lot. I mean, um, I studied nutritional therapy in the early 2000s, um, which was a very sort of organic process for me. I didn't have any connection uh, with food previously. Um, I mean, I did grow up in a sort of farming environment, you know, countryside. My mother was a home cook. Um, I didn't get access to a lot of junk food. So when I moved to London, I kind of rebelled. And I just thought that junk food and convenience food was incredibly sophisticated and brilliant that I actually suddenly had access to it. But it really didn't agree with me or my health. And, um, uh, you know, I I didn't, it wasn't someone who just evangelically made all of these changes. I resisted it. You know, I still really am a foodie. And I want, I've been lucky to always be able to have that lovely balance that we talked about mm. earlier where I can always still enjoy food um, but learning about the importance of food was huge for me in my health journey and that's what led me to study nutritional therapy. Um, by the time I'd graduated from the four-year course which is pretty intense and pretty hardcore you know we really learn the science um, of nutrition um, and also learn all of the skills required to work in a therapeutic environment, helping people on a one-to-one basis. So once I'd graduated, I was just so eager to 
with with huge amounts of passion and gusto. He, you know, really wanted to share all of this knowledge with people. Um, but that's when the real learning happens, actually, is when you start working one to one with clients and you realize that every single person sitting in front of you is this unique individual with a whole host of different emotions yeah. and a whole host of different cultural experiences. And they've had different messages in their childhood. And that's when I quite quickly realized that there was just so much more that I needed to learn and to be able to offer in the space rather than just telling people, eat more greens, which, you know, of course, I tell people that as well. So it's been a it's been a continuous journey for me. And I've constantly, I mean, any good practitioner will constantly be updating their uh, their knowledge. But um, I've definitely evolved much more into the holistic um, space and uh, and really taken on board and, and done a lot of work with the emotional aspect too, because I, I like I say, I just wanted to make sure that I was giving people a, a better a better kind of support service. And how um, do you tackle that? Because I would imagine that's probably one of the hardest things to do, for example, with people, um, because I suppose many people would know theoretically what they sure should be eating and exactly. what, what isn't healthy. But it's challenging for a lot of people, isn't it? It's incredibly challenging. I mean, we've, we face so many different different uh, obstacles in society nowadays. So mm. um, it, it, it's a huge area. I mean, I, I don't claim to be an expert in this. I don't have, you know, all of the skills that hopefully... One day when my daughter's a little bit older, I will return to university and, and focus more on, on that aspect so that I can add that to my career path. But I've always employed uh, a great psychothera psychotherapist in my practice who specialises in this area. So if ever mm. I was working with a client who had the sort of what we call red flag hmm. um, signs, I would uh, sort of that would be the opportunity for me to say, look, you know, I'm here to help you with the food. But what you're really talking about is actually... It's a mental health issue, really. Uh, sometimes, for for some people, if they're if they're too obsessive with food, what makes someone successfully change their diet and others not? In your I, I, opinion, I, I really think it depends on on where they're at with their. I mean, I hate that word journey, but I definitely think that it's knowledge. I definitely think that it's support. I think it's community. It's very important that you're surrounded by people, you know, who are supportive and aren't going to challenge mm. um, the, the decisions that you make. And, and and I do think it's about going back to how we started, you know, having that healthy balance, yeah. um, being able to coexist with still being able to enjoy food and also understanding the importance of eating, you know, the, the right amount of food. So, I mean, I, I, I've worked with all sorts of people. I, I, I've helped a lot of them, hmm. but um, really it's, it's down to them. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that I haven't been able to help because they just weren't ready. And sometimes they get back in touch with me two years later and say, OK, I'm ready now. I think or, you know, it, it can it can take a long time. And I would say that I think this is a bit of a misconception um, that that health is this sort of thing that you just one day achieve and tick that box. Exactly. And it's a process, it's isn't so it? Important it's definitely and, and a process. And it evolves. Yeah. Like my eating has just evolved so much from 2004 when I started or 2000 when I first made changes to my diet. Um right through my nutrition training, yeah. right up to now. I mean, motherhood's changed how I, you know, pregnancy massively yeah. changed how I was eating. Motherhood's changed it. So I think it's really important to always stress to people that it's not a tick box that mm. we can just achieve and go done. It's a beautiful relationship that we should constantly be working on and, and make sure that we're always still enjoying. And it's updating all the time, isn't it? Because yeah. you're in different periods of your life. Different. You're yeah. in a different environment. Absolutely. You have access to different things. Yeah. I think for many, it's a privilege to have access to certain ingredients or, as you say, it's Definitely. a privilege to be able to grow your own vegetables, for example. So... Uh, as foodies and in the industry that we're in, I think we need to be quite wary Absolutely. of 
um, what we recommend is is good or bad. And I like what you said about uh, everyone being individual and sort of being at different stages of totally of their journey. I mean, it's the cheesy really, word, but yeah, it's it's, um, it's got to be inspiring, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think. Um, sort of dictating to people that there should that there's only one way of eating that there's only one way of living yeah. there's only one way that yeah. there should be isn't going to inspire anyone and i think it's sort of not correct as well because everyone's so different aren't they everyone's so different and 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 we 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 like i said we're all at different stages so if someone's incredibly stressed and incredibly time poor and just dealing with some other issues in their life and maybe all they can manage is a convenience microwave ready meal we there's, there's no one has a has a right to shame them for that yeah absolutely you know my role would be to try and help them you know add in a portion of green vegetables a handful of yeah. mixed yeah. leaves just to, just to you know i i think my approach has always been to or it, it has always been but it certainly is more now than ever to focus on the should haves rather than the shouldn't. So yeah, I'm always yes, trying to absolutely. Um, help people see what they need to be eating yeah. more of. Because I think certainly in the nutrition world and certainly when you look at healthy eating and dieting, the, the message has generally been what should you avoid, what should you restrict, and what should you give And that's way more negative as well. Absolutely. It's, so it's become a negative, th- something that people dread yeah. as opposed to actually I see and have always seen healthy eating as just this wonderful, wonderful thing that once I learnt about it, I just couldn't believe how good I could feel, how much better I was feeling. And I know when I don't eat so well, how much worse I feel. So for me, it's always been a very positive thing. And I think it's just always been careful Hmm. with the wording that we choose and the way that we share things. And that's something I'm continuing to learn about. I I think for me, I I feel like sometimes it's really difficult for people to understand what they could feel like if they haven't felt like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, just, it's sort of like imagining that they're going to feel much better, which is sort of hard to do when you're feeling a certain way, I think. Yeah. And I mean, we all know that changing habits is really complicated. It's really it's really difficult. Um, and a lot of people believe that it takes willpower. And I, I would go back to saying it. We've got to look at in each individual's unique circumstances mm. to see where they're at, what's realistic for them. I mean, I'm not going to suggest to a bloke who only orders takeaway for dinner to start sprouting his lentils, you know. Absolutely it's not. Just how to alienate someone and, and uh, make healthy eating completely unachievable and unrealistic. And I just don't think healthy eating should be as complicated as it has become. And so that's my sort of, my next book is all, mm. I, I, I say it's just making healthy simple. Um, I wanted to ask you something because mm. you're a, you're a new mum. I am. And well, she's two now. I still yes. say I've just had a baby, yeah. but yeah. And I've got a seven-year-old sassy girl. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to food habits and food rewards, mm. I just want to touch upon that. And I'm sure that you've already experienced this when you go to birthday parties. Yeah. And I guess you can do as much as possible from home, but then you've got a whole society and uh, to, to deal with when it comes to um, food habits. Yeah. And how how do you deal with that? So my approach, and it is early days, but mm. my approach at the, so far has been um, I don't believe in restricting anything because I think that if she believes that these things are naughty or yeah. bad or um, not allowed, that only leads to a, a sort of um, a, a, the exact opposite. She's yeah. going to be wanting them. So um, what I've really made sure I don't do is I don't give any food superiority over each other. Mm. So a piece of cake gets just the same excitement as a carrot. 
Right. And so that's my approach so far. And so far, it's it's sort of working. So it's just other people that I have to like, yeah. you know, families who will suddenly go, oh, ice cream. And I'm like, no, no, it's just ice cream. It's just ice cream like it's just carrots, yes. you know, but because people will never say, oh, carrots. Yes. Um, so I'm just, you know, that's all I can do mm, in my yeah. own way is just try to not make it special and certainly not deny her thing. So, you know, if she went to a summer party and there was ice cream, it was the first time that she had ice cream this summer. I didn't say oh, special treat or yeah. I didn't just give it any speciality. It was mm. just, oh, you're having ice cream. Great. We're going to go home and have some peas. Yeah. But I think going forwards, I'll always make sure that there's still that that I introduce these treat foods, as, as we culturally call them, um, as part of her life so but so that she gets them alongside the vegetables and so that they just become normal as opposed to a treat or something unusual and certainly never as a reward. So Amelia you were saying that your um your food and what you've been eating has changed over the years and definitely as part of being pregnant mm. and a mum. Um mm. so how how has how has it changed? You know when I was a single girl um I had an abundance of time to get in my kitchen and I would spend hours in the evening just I, I was just always coming up with these creative ideas and delicious meals. And I had, you know, I had the time. And of course, I got criticised for that on social media. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm sorry, I am single and childless. And, you know, I, I did have that time. And of course, you know, I've, I've come down to earth with a big old bang, realising that, you know, just as a mum, how time poor I am. And, and just how I just don't have the same creative energy to mm. cook. It still is a source of joy for me in the way that I used to love it. But I just don't get that joy. I don't get the time to do it as as often as I used to. It's something that I really, really miss. And so I think for the first year of motherhood, I felt quite I felt quite sad about it because I just I was just ravenous all the time, but for carbs and sugar. I mean the exhaustion was like something I've never experienced. And and as I say, I'm for me, I've never had this complicated. I've never been orthorexic. I've never been anorexic. Yeah. I've never felt like my health eating was a source of deprivation. So when I suddenly wanted to eat twirls, which I did <laughs> a lot in the first few weeks of breastfeeding, you know, right. it wasn't like I didn't have all like guilt and shame around it. It was just like, hmm, this is new. Um, but I definitely did revert to my sort of childhood experiences with, with food. I kind so of wanted, I. It's really I wanted interesting, sweet, isn't it? sweet yeah. milky tea and I wanted toast and marmite just yeah. all the time and like big bowls of sweet porridge and um so I, I you know I just I, I totally went with it for for mm. a while and then I suppose like I said it was there was a bit of a grieving process when I realized I'm just not going to be making food like I used to make anymore and I need to find even quicker ways of of doing the things that I used to love and I guess then you know foods have changed I definitely eat more now than I used to because I need the energy yeah. and um I mean, I'm not breastfeeding anymore, but certainly for breastfeeding, I just had to eat way more yeah. than I used to eat. So uh, I, I guess it, it's changed. It's still changing. What I did start to do probably about six months in, and actually this is the basis for the mm. new book, was I knew that I wasn't really nourishing myself in mm. the way that I knew would help me to thrive and help my breast milk and help my energy and help me get to grips with this completely crazily yeah. new new environment, mm. this new life that I found myself in. So I started slowly to just with every meal think how can I have a nutritional add-on 
You know, what do I need to add in? Even whether it's a handful of spinach to that toast and some mackerel. Like I did eat mackerel and spinach on toast a lot. Um, So it was like finding toast toppings. I call them hero toppings in the book. Oh, toast toppings. Isn't toast the best food? Well, because toast is the best and it's so quick. But toast and marmite just wasn't giving me the nourishment that I needed. So I was like, how can I still have my toast? But make some nutritional add-ons. So I I created a whole chapter called The Hero Toppings. Amazing. um, I think now my way of cooking, sorry to continue to answer your question. Um, Now my way of cooking is is, it's definitely been simplified because of the lack of time. And I I suppose, you know, I've seen the need, I've seen this need for years in my clients, but I just couldn't really put myself there until I was really able to live and breathe it. Um, So in a way, has it helped your creative process as well? Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not going to lie and say that this book has the most creative recipes. I'd say that these are really quick, simple recipes with nourishment at their heart. But that's what people need. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is creative in itself of maximising what you're eating by making shortcuts and having something really quick and simple onto your plate, but knowing that this is really good for me. But knowing that it's going to be ticking the nutritional boxes, which is what I do every time I create a meal. I have like my, in my third book, I created something called the Positive Nutrition Pyramid, which is like a little tick box chart of what we need to eat across the day because we've got the Eat Well plate, which shows people what it should be per meal. But actually, it's very hard to translate that into what does it look like for a day? What Mm. does that day look like for a week? And so the the pyramid is all about helping people to see what their days should look like. And um, it's not it's it, it's, you know, it's sort of, I suppose, a modified Mediterranean diet. It's pretty straightforward and it allows people to adapt it for whether they're vegans, plant based, mm. whatever. Um, so it's sort of using that kind of knowledge. And I have the tick box in my head when I eat throughout the day, just like, OK, I haven't had any protein yet or yeah. I've forgotten my fruit or, you know, just the kind of stuff that we know is important. But these recipes, you know, so they have that at their core, but they're really their shortcuts. So I've simplified a lot of the original recipes from some of my first books just Brilliant. to make them quicker. Like I've got a really, really speedy, quick casserole, which I always thought casseroles take hours. Of course, like great chefs like you yeah. might be like, oh, horror, that's that's I shocking. Know. You're <laughs> all about the shortcuts, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> maximum flavour. Maximum flavour. Yeah. Shortest time possible. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be tasty, hasn't it? And cooking it? from scratch essentially is I think that is one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to cook from scratch regardless if it takes 10 minutes or an hour yeah yeah, I quite agree because you're in control of what goes into your pot basically yeah yeah and it tastes better and it tastes better of course I don't eat out very much and I was um out recently for an appointment and it just fell around lunchtime and I saw this health food shop I'm Mm -hmm. saying that in inverted commas um And I went in to order something and I ordered, you know, like beanie bowl, um, like a kind of stew thing. And it was £12.50 and it was absolutely revolting. And I was like, God, I could have made this for about £3 and I would have made probably six portions, you know, at home if I'd just gone home and taken, okay, that would have taken 20 minutes to pull together. But I just kind of got seduced in that moment to yeah. believe that I could buy it. And, yeah. and, and you know, £12.50, know, and it was crazy. revolting. You, so I agree, cooking from scratch is, yes. is, if only everyone could just start to do that. Yeah, it's that <laughs> yeah. one thing, I think, that one change. That but that's the biggest can... barrier because I think people have an association that it just takes too much time. Well, that's what I yeah. hope my new book will yeah. at least yes. give them a few a few more shortcuts and show that, 
I mean, there's some stuff that takes longer, like slow cooking things. But, but then you can make bigger portions and you can, yeah, yeah, batch cook. And then, you know, instead of paying £12 for a bean stew out, you can take that in a little lunchbox. Exactly, exactly. And you can save the environment some uh, paper <laughs> usage that. or plastic usage, you know, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, definitely. I'm right with you. Mm. Amelia, do you think that eating out is ever healthy? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and again, I have to go back to, you know, what, what I started off by saying, uh, you know, I think that we must all remember that being healthy is as much a part of it, uh, you know, enjoying ourselves. Yeah. And there is, you know, I eat French fries when I go out. Me too. <laughs> I love French fries. I love French I fries. I know you don't. You're so weird. <laughs> chips are just boring. Just oh, not really? Who oh, does not God. like chips? That's most I love oh, a chip. Because, it's, because it, there's one flavour. It's great. It's, it's really crispy boring. and it's soft on the inside. Anyways, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I definitely believe that if I go out to eat, I want to eat really good food and it's not about health. Uh, I mean, I might choose some healthy things, but yeah. it's not about health. But I think that is healthy. So when you yes. say, can we be yeah, healthy eating out? Absolutely. It, it is not healthy to be restrictive, anxious or worried around food. I think as a young person growing up, now it's so confusing in terms of the good foods, the bad foods, everything in between. Uh, obviously, food influencers mm. uh, that don't have any nutritional background giving unsolicited mm. advice. Mm. Yeah, what's your thought about that actually? I think that everyone has a right to share their message, their passions yeah. in whatever the way, way they feel. But of course, I think that we all have a responsibility if we have a public platform to be very careful with the words that we choose. And, you know, I have made mistakes. I definitely, you know, the the more we learn, I think social media has been a whole social experiment and it's quite terrifying seeing mm. what's happened. Well, it's still so well, new anyway. Exactly. So everyone sort of had to learn. No one really knows how it yeah. works. And, yeah. and, 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 and I, I'm quite frightened of it, really, seeing mm. what it's becoming and what the, how how it's influencing people in a pretty negative way. I think, especially the younger generation. Yeah, I don't I I don't think I've always got it right. I've definitely learned and certainly feel the responsibility of, of being incredibly cautious and careful with the words that I use and the advice that I share. Which means that I share less now, but it's much more, uh, you know, considered and much more thought out. And that yeah. the same goes with speaking to journalists or press. I just don't do those hurried quotes and those hurried articles that that feed into yeah. their theme or their headline. Because I suppose um, for you, as an expert, or, and if you put messages out there, it's sort of there forever, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. And you, yeah, you can't undo it. Whereas, you know, nutrition is an evolving science. And so there's going to yeah. be stuff that's going to change. And uh, so I've learned to, to, you know, I really sit on the fence. I'm never going to say huge, big statements anymore. I certainly fell into that trap uh, in my early days when I uh, you know, started to to have a bit more of a platform. So it, it's, you know, I think that 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 we're learning and people are incredibly, uh, people are starting to be more cautious. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm very, uh, very yeah. wary of. Yeah. So Amelia, how did you get a book deal? So my practice grew quite organically and quite quickly. Um, and I loved it. I mean, absolutely loved that period of my life. I had one particular client who uh, I just who came to see me, and he was really in the right place to make changes to his health. He'd done all of the other work, mm-hmm. and he just knew that this was the one area he just wanted to yeah. work out what to eat. So we did. We worked together for uh, a good a good year, and I would cook for him and deliver his food, and then he would get cooking, and it was just it was a lovely collaboration. Mm. 
And fortunately for him, it was it was a really positive experience. Uh, he he really transformed his health. Visually, he lost a lot of weight, which is what everyone focuses on. But um, it you know there was lots lots of positive things. So when he finally sort of shared his new his new self with, reveal. with the world, revealed himself. Yeah. Um, it was Boy George, yeah, and uh, he say said he he very kindly said my name, and uh, my my entire work life changed that day. Wow, yeah. wow, that's fantastic. So were you then approached by publishers? So and then PR? I was approached yeah. by, I mean, you name it. I had TV channels. Wow, oh my goodness, it was it was all quite crazy, but eventually. Um, I uh, settled with uh, HarperCollins. Uh, I had a lovely publisher there, and um, she sadly wasn't able to see the whole of the book through because she then moved on to another mm. publishing house, which happens. Mm. But um, it was it was it was a great start with my first book, and they really held my hand because they were like, "We think you should do a book," and I was yeah. so naive. I was like, "Okay, what shall I write about?" <laughs> you know, I wasn't someone that had you know these burning things that I wanted to share with everyone. So. We just sort of talk through what have I found to be most, you know, influential or, or most helpful right. when working with clients. And so that's what that book became. So question for both of you, actually, where where would one start? I think there's obviously a lot of positive impact of what's out there, but there is so much information out there within the wellness industry and eating healthy so where would one start? I've, I said this in my first book, and I'm, I, I would say just choose one thing. Yeah. Just choose one area of your life that you know is a little bit out of balance. So maybe you don't go to bed before 3 a.m. Yeah. Or maybe you, I don't know, binge eat on chocolate cake in the middle of the night. Or, uh, you, know, I don't, you know, everyone's got different habits, eat too many chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd, I'd say just focus on one thing rather than trying to find a resource or a solution or a way that's got a name or a label. Because that goes into the sort of diet territory again anyway, exactly. when people are looking for a packaged solution yeah. and then they're going to move away from that again. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Just start, sim- start simple. And I always say to people, choose something that you can imagine yourself still doing in a year's time because we all have a habit of going like January Mm. okay I'm going to be perfect I'm going to exercise every single day and I'm going to reduce my x y and z and blah 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 and then of course we know that that's not sustainable so I always say just in January just choose one thing that you can imagine doing for the whole 12 months because that's, that's going really to have good a bigger impact on your health than start yeah. stopping, start stopping. I wanted to ask you, because I think we're running out of time, yes. um, but I just wanted you to um, tell us a little bit um, quickly about your new book. Thank you. So it's called Simply Good For You, and I suppose it's for the really busy, time-poor um, people who want to want to sort of eat a little bit better and know that they're getting their nutrients in, but just feel a bit overwhelmed and maybe aren't that kitchen confident so it's simple it's you know I'm unashamed by how simple these recipes are but they're all complete meals um they're you know written with as I said earlier nourishment at their core hopefully they're all just tasty and delicious it's over 100 recipes sounds wonderful that's a lot of recipes (laughs) and last but not least um, sorry I should also say they're also things that I've been feeding my daughter throughout the last two years so I I quite early on decided that I wasn't going to make separate meals for her because I just couldn't have that existence. That's great. So as I was weaning her, we had the broccoli puree in a soup or with a piece of fish. 
And then as I started to get her onto more solids, it's just grown that way. So we all eat the same as a family. So although the book isn't marketed as being family friendly, I would say that, you know, my daughter eats every single thing in that book with obvious alterations suitable for children. Um, Last but not least, what is the best bit of advice you've ever received? Um, I wish I'd had time to think about this because I'm sure that there's some lovely nuggets. But I suppose just because of what we've talked about, I think someone saying to me that your clients are your best PR. Mm, um, and actually, I remember that in the early days, I've, I've, I haven't spent money on PR or done that whole thing. And, and my, my practice and everything has grown from clients very kindly sharing sharing what I do or, or what they've achieved through me. So. Great. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. My pleasure. Oh, having for having us. me, girls. <laughs> so thank you so much to our lovely guest, Amelia Freer, today for joining us on What For Gatcha. And thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and please feel free to give us a five-star rating and tell your friends all about it. Plus, you can follow us on our socials, which are Bettina's Kitchen and Rebel Recipes. And thanks again to April and Cole for making this all possible. They're the organic home delivery grocer who deliver fresh and seasonal organic food straight to the door. And they've kindly offered our listeners a brilliant offer of £10 off your first three shops over £30 when you enter the code PODCAST at the checkout. Check their website, ableandcole.co.uk, for more details, where you'll also find all the T's and C's. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Listener.